Welcome to High ISO, the photography and business podcast, where we talk about life as a professional photographer. I'm Robert Hall, an editorial photographer from Michigan. And I'm Justin Haugen, a wedding and portrait photographer from Arizona. Let's go ahead and introduce Aaron here. We've got Aaron Anderson, Tamron Ambassador, incredible photographer. Um, instead of me introducing you, I got a rapid fire, like shoot from the hip. Uh, who are you? Where yes. are you from? What do you do? And pineapple on pizza, yes, no, and why? Mm. So I'm Aaron Anderson. I'm a commercial photographer. I am from, so this is kind of an interesting question. I am still trying to weed out this answer because originally I was born and raised in Northern California. But now we travel full-time as a family in an RV. And so currently, I'm in Southern California. But we split time between Southern California, Northern California, Colorado, and Texas for the most part. Uh, and it really is dependent upon work. And pineapple and pizza, I'm totally fine with. My wife would debate this. But uh, as long as there's a, a meat involved as well, I think pineapple by itself feels a little lonely. But other than that, yeah. I like you already. Man, I... I feel like we're going to be pinging you for tips because, uh, like, I, I'm a new father. Justin is almost a father, and you are traveling yes. with three kids? Yeah, three three kiddos. We got um, four, oh six, gosh. and eight is where we're at right now. So new, new you... father being how, how new? Like months, years? Like five months. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're Five you're months yesterday. Wow. Yeah. Congrats. It's fun. Yeah, it is. Thank you. It's a, it's a journey. I love it. Um. What do you what do you do with the uh, kids for school? They're all homeschooled. Well, so four year olds will be starting kindergarten next year, and then we have a first grader, third grader, and they were well. So my daughter was homeschooled before we actually went on the road, um, so it was just kind of an mm -hmm. easy transition. Technically, they nice. call it road road schooling because we're always kind of moving around. But yeah, yeah. I personally think like there's really no better uh, no better education than like being shown new environments constantly. Like traveling yeah. in itself um, is especially like it's just so beneficial. And I I really think like my worldview would have been completely different had I traveled significantly when I was younger. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think culturally too, it just it introduces the kids to things that you wouldn't necessarily see. And I really appreciate that, you know, being in L.A. or even like San Diego or and, and being able to introduce them to all different types of foods and people and is really cool that we, we love doing that. And so our communities are very diverse and we get to meet all kinds of new people and try all kinds of different food. And I, I now that we've done it this way, I don't know. Doing it a different way would be really hard. I mean, I didn't get to travel very much when I was younger. And so. The fact that they've already been on the road so much and flown and drove and all these different things, it's like, it's been really cool. It's fun. It's fun to see how it shapes their personalities too, which is great. I, I know my life would have been way different had I tried guacamole before I was 18. <laughs> yeah. It would have been better. That's, that's would, true. Would have been better. It would have been way better. <laughs> See, I, I grew up as a military brat, and so we we traveled everywhere. I was, mm. I was born in Korea. We moved to Australia. Okay. We went back to Korea, Oklahoma, New Mexico, Germany, and then I graduated high school and came to Tucson. I've been here for 21 years now, and it definitely gotcha. shaped my worldview. I feel like uh, I think 
I think you really empower your children to be travelers and to be independent and to make friends on the fly. I think it's definitely foundational for a successful life. Yeah, yeah totally absolutely. agree. I, I think it's it's awesome. I mean, obviously, it, it is also uh, semi-privileged as well. I mean, the fact that we get to do this is really, really awesome. I mean, we did give up a lot. Like, this is our home. It's, you know, we moved from a four-bedroom house into a two-bedroom 42 foot fifth wheel so it's definitely has its give and take but it's um been really cool and it's it's a neat experience i we definitely don't want to do it forever but it's for the ages that they are and um, the ability to be here as a dad and when i'm here i'm here and we get to spend a lot of time together and before if i had to go to la i was traveling so even if it was a meeting or whatever i was heading out on a plane and being gone for two three days and now i head into la and it's 45 minutes away and it's just like easy we just ride in and then i come home for bedtime and get to see my kids so i think um that's that lifestyle switch has been really good just especially in these ages of four six and eight of like all the growth and all the changes that are happening right now and being able to be there is really cool how long have you been on the road then so we've been on the road just over two years and you see, like, what's the, what's the long-term plan then of being on the road? How much longer do you see yourself doing this? Um, I, I would say we probably have, based on what we're kind of looking at right now, is probably another year or so. Um, so we have property in, in Colorado, and we have a little cabin that we rent. And then we're going to build that out to be a place where we can stay more permanently. Um, and then we're also looking at dependent upon just kind of how clients go and things um, buying something in Texas so that we could jump back and forth. And yeah, I mean, that's kind of the interesting thing about this lifestyle is we don't really have this like hard stop or end goal. It's just kind of like, yeah, eventually we'd like to be back in the house. Um, I think we're all kind of at the point where like another year, especially my daughter's eight turning nine this year. And it's like, getting her her own space and things really starts to come to mind. And, and so we're just trying to be aware of that and, and the rhythms of everybody and how we're all feeling. And I think in the next year, I'd like to see it where we at least have like a permanent um, landing spot where we can go and call it home and say like, hey, we're going home and you guys can get into Little League or soccer or, you know, whatever. And right now that's not really possible because we move every two to three weeks and so there's not this, uh, what's the word, stability that they have and that we'd like them to have. And so while we've grown cl closer as a family, I feel like they don't have, a, they have kid interaction, but not like these consistent places and things that they do. So I think in the next year or so, we're looking to kind of get them in a place where we can at least do that for, you know, six months at a time or, or whatever. Now, I, I hate to like, oh, it seems like the format whenever you have a guest on is to like get the photography origin story, but it's such a great way to figure out like, how did you get here? Like what formed your experience? Yeah. Like where, you know, where, where did you start in photography? How long have you been doing this? And, and, and how did that lead you to where you are now living on the road? Yeah. I mean, uh, my, my journey is like pretty unconventional. I didn't, I feel like a lot of people, you, when I talk especially in the industry, there's like, oh man, I, my dad gave me a camera when I was four and I just started taking pictures. My first word was like, you know, digital or something. Shutter. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Aperture. And I'm like, I didn't, I tried, I tried photography in high school and it was film and I hated it. 
I would just like take pictures and send them off and get them back. And they were terrible. And I was like, this is a total waste of my life. So uh, after high school, I didn't touch a camera again until after I was married. And so we, I had done, I, I've done like over 20 different jobs and um, which has been great for life experience and kind of my, my thought process and still to this day is if you want to do something, try it. And then if you don't like it, then go try something different. And so I tried on a lot of hats. I was actually a scuba diving instructor um, for like seven years. And that's what I was doing before photography. But the going back to the photography origin story, I bought my wife a camera for her birthday. And then I like promptly stole it and <laughs> started taking pictures of it. Uh, yeah, I was like, man, this is really fun. And a friend of mine named Zach Shellhammer, who's this really cool, uh, he's a photographer. He was with GoPro for a long time, but now does like video and photo, um, had taught me. He just told me like three things that I remember he said. You always shoot in raw. Um, you always shoot in manual and never shoot JPEGs. And I didn't know what any of that stuff meant. <laughs> and so I was like, yes, I will. that will be forever what I will do. And so I learned all those things and he took me out on like a photo walk and taught me kind of how to play with the camera. And after that, I just started learning more and more and then got into lighting and then went to the Academy of Art in San Francisco for a couple of years to really dive into lighting and studio because I really felt like the way forward was to grow in lighting and grow in your ability to use complicated setups and that always intrigued me so school had access to all of those things in one fell swoop and that's what we decided to do went two years dropped out um, and that was not totally on purpose uh, I don't know where I heard it but I we heard that if you get into debt for school you should not get into debt more than your first year of income in that whatever bracket is and when I did a bunch of research it was like twenty six thousand dollars um, which doesn't buy much art school. Uh, so uh, after two years, approximately just, like four weeks of art yeah, school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we went and I took all photo shooting classes pretty much the entire time, which was a really heavy workload, but I also feel like was a really good introduction into the world of photography because you're getting destroyed on a regular basis with your schedules and uh, having to manage multiple things and all this great stuff and so I was doing that I was assisting and doing um, internships at the same time so I just dove right in and started doing as much as I could you know you fail a lot often and so the more you fail the quicker you fail the faster you can start to grow and that was kind of my my motto were you in San Francisco during You're... this time or or were you just doing it online mm -hmm. I know they have an online courses too yeah, no, we moved to San Francisco during that time. So we were in Colorado before that. Um, like I said, I was a scuba diving instructor and I managed a scuba diving store in Colorado. And then we moved to San Francisco and stayed with friends, which is really awesome. Um, my good friend and mentor, Nate and his family, they have, so they have eight kids now, but they had five kids. Yeah, they had five kids when we were there. So it was like us plus five kids plus them. Uh, and then they had another one while we were there. So there was like six kids and all of us in this four bedroom house, which was super fun. And so I would commute into San Francisco and we were just hanging out. So yeah, like my whole journey has been really fun. Like I, I love 
even thinking about back on this journey through all the cool stuff and people that I've met. And that's really what draws me to photography is every time I've looked into a career, it's how, how much time do I get to spend with other people? And do I get to have experiences with those people? And that's why photography has stayed for me as the career that I love, because it's, I'm meeting new people all the time and I'm having experiences with those people all the time. And that's what I want to do with my life is I want to meet people and have experiences and hear their stories. So now I have a question. How did you go from, from commercial photography to kind of niching down into specifically like the categories that are listed on your website? So you've got the sport photography, um, you've got motion as a category, but not really that specifically motors, right? You're doing a lot mm -hmm. with motorcycles and that, how did you kind of niche into that area? I mean, that was pretty organic, I would say. I, As I started to shoot more and more and more, um, it just started to come out of me and my style fit into a specific area. Uh, with the sports stuff, I being in Colorado Springs, there is the Olympic Training Center. And mm -hmm. I started working with Olympic athletes. And there was this really great opportunity to work with people who really needed photos but also had really amazing stories and gave us the opportunity to go in and tell these cool stories in a really interesting way. And so doing kind of unconventional, I guess you could say, sport photography for them, because with every person, I would sit down with them and say, tell me your story, and then we're going to build your shoot around the idea of your story. So a lot of the stuff that you see in the sport area are the Olympic athletes. I mean, they're some of the best athletes in the world, but a lot of it, I have spent hours just sitting at coffee with them talking about who they are and what they do. And that's kind of how I prefer to work is to know the people. Um, I mean, obviously in the commercial world, that's not always the case. And sometimes we're just working with talent, but uh, that my journey into sport specifically involved that. Um, and then kind of the people stuff, really have just moved towards a cinematic portrait style that is really narrative driven because that's what gets me. Uh, I love the challenge of the reason why I don't actually, I don't typically shoot motion is because I enjoy the challenge of telling a story in one frame uh, as opposed to trying to tell it over, you know, a length of time, um, which I am directing. Actually, I'm directing quite a bit these days, but um, that still is in that story vibe and then just allows me to kind of take the vision from the photos into the story that we're telling with video and uh, direct like the DPs and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's been great. Here's a brief word from our sponsor. Tamron doesn't ever want you to miss that perfect shot. Not being close enough is no longer an issue with our new ultra telephoto zoom lens with a focal length of 150 to 500 millimeters and built in image stabilization. You can capture that distant shot. Visit Tamron at Tamron-USA.com and on Instagram at TamronUSA. So wait, how how quickly upon making photography like your career were you photographing Olympic athletes? Um pretty quickly. So my when I actually started photography, when I moved out of school, I went straight into retouching. Mm -hmm. And I actually retouched at a firm in San Francisco called Sugar Digital. And that, I was there for about a year. And that really 
change the way that I view the commercial photography industry just in general. Uh, I mean, it, you get a really good behind the scenes look at what's happening and how images are being made. And I was realizing, I mean, it, it on a few levels, like the first thing I realized was that mo I can do it. I could do it. Most people could do it, but you, I can do it. It wasn't like these pictures coming out of camera were somehow miraculous compared to the images that I was taking or that I was seeing other people take. And in, a, in that way, I think it was a really good confidence booster because it was like, okay, these aren't superheroes taking pictures. These are just dudes with cameras, just like me or ladies with mm -hmm. cameras. And it's like, yeah, uh, all right, I'm, I, I can do this as well. So that was a really good thing. The other thing is, is I still retouch my own work. And so anything you see on my site is retouched by me. So it gave me this experience that other people didn't have. And I had spent a lot of time in, in school learning retouching because I was seeing students not knowing how to do it themselves. And then they were getting frustrated because they weren't being able to create the images that they really wanted to see. So after spending time as a retoucher and learning all these really valuable skills and then seeing how a commercial job comes together, it really gave me this kind of confidence and verve to go out and try it myself um so then i went back we moved back to colorado after that and i was actually still scuba diving and then i was retouching on the side and it got to the point where i was shooting projects and, and i'm thinking uh, that was probably eight years ago so that would be about, so I was retouching, I was shooting personal projects all the time to build my portfolio. And that would have been when I started with the Olympic athletes as well, because I just kind of saw this thing and I was like, man, we should start shooting. So uh, we were, I was working as a manager, scuba instructor, I was retouching, shooting personal projects, and we just had our first baby. Uh, so that was my daughter. Yeah, so that would be about eight years ago. And... I was working probably a hundred hours a week on a regular basis. And I, I would sleep maybe like three or four hours a night. It was, and, I, and I'm not saying this is like a badge of glory. This is stupid. Like people shouldn't do this. Mm -hmm. um, but that was what I was doing at the time. And so it got to the point where I was just like, I can't, this is not sustainable for me anymore. I don't know. We, we need to figure something out. And there, there was so much retouching going on that it was, the career option at that point was like, yeah, I could totally do this on my own. I had enough clients that it was not going to be a big deal. So I quit my job. And then a few months later, we found out we were having our second kiddo. And <laughs> which was like, it was a, it was a good timing and terrible timing because I had just quit my job and I'm, I'm going full-time freelance. And mm -hmm. then uh, we find out we're having a kiddo, but I think it was great time because if I would have known we were having a second, I probably wouldn't have quit, right? Because you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm going to quit have this taken consistent that leap, income. Yeah. Um, so we had a little bit of savings and we were like, you know what? All right, let's go. Let's do it. And so, yeah, I, I that's when I got in full time. And then I was really pushing on personal projects. I was doing some client shoots at that point, but I was doing a lot of retouching. And so I was trying to then transition, which is a really hard transition out, actually, because when you get put in this like retoucher category, 
it's really hard for people to see you as the photographer as well. And so that was kind of this, now we had this process of, all right, I'm not just a retoucher. I also do stills. And then almost I'd have to take my portfolio to the people that I retouch for and be like, hey, I've done this work. Can you hire me for it instead of other people? Mm. Um, and in, in all reality, most of my retouching clients aren't my clients anymore. So I think really I just had to completely separate from it. And there was a point that I was like, I don't do retouching anymore. And yeah, I'll bid it on my own jobs. But if someone would come to me and say, do you, I need, I need a retoucher because they get my name from somebody else. So, well, I'm not, I don't do that anymore. So that, that was, that was painful. The transition from retouching to photography was like dropping six figure clients and saying, I don't work with you anymore. I'm just a freelance photographer. And that, so there's been these really like big financially painful moments along the way when we're just like, nope, hard stop. I'm not doing this anymore. I, it's not sustainable for me to do both. And, you know, my wife is an incredibly supportive person and has been with me every step of the way. And these are decisions we make together. And it's like, okay. I don't think I can do this anymore. And we're financially, we're going to take a hit. Are we going to be okay? It's like, yeah, okay. We're going to be okay. Um, and then we just kind of move on and, and hopefully this, this is a really long answer to your question, no, but good. that's, that's <laughs> kind of where hey, I started and kind of where it goes. Um, so my transition really to being in this kind of full-time photography realm started with school and after school to retouching and then retouching to, scuba diving and retouching and to retouching full-time then from retouching to shooting and retouching and then just shooting so even inside of my own career the transitions are constantly happening and I think it's great because at every step I'm learning a little bit more about the industry I'm learning a little bit more about the business and I'm growing as a person in the meantime not to mention we're having kids in that whole time frame and so life is changing and going up and down and crazy um but yeah it's it's been a really awesome journey really hard at points um especially in the beginning but now i feel like we're in a, a, a rhythm where we're used to it and um yeah i can move through it a little bit smoother i think getting started one of the things i hate that people don't talk about is just how tough it is to move from school into commercial photography especially when the jobs are in five and six figures and it's like how do you get a job like that how do you land a client and do an estimate and make sure you're not eating tons of money every time you do a shoot you know it, it's i remember in school we had one conversation where the instructor or the professor said how much do you think it costs to do a shoot like this and everybody kind of went around and they were like, a thousand dollars and two thousand dollars. And then I came and I was like, I think like fifteen thousand dollars. And then the instructor was like, yeah, he's probably the most accurate. And that was like the only conversation we ever had. And there was never like, you're the most accurate. However, you're still off by like forty thousand dollars and you don't have this, 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 this and this. And how do you put that together? And so the fact that I and I think schools just aren't being held accountable for that like why aren't we teaching kids that that photography is 90 percent business yeah but it's it's so important and a lot of the 
like I'll go back to my school and, and speak sometimes. And most of the time I just talk about, hey, these are things that you need to be proactive about right now. Otherwise, when you get out of school, you're not going to have any work at all. And that's the reality. You will not have work. And side note, no one's going to want to hire you because you have zero experience. And you don't have, yeah, you have a cool book from your school and stuff, but it's not, it doesn't work like that. It's just not the same thing. There's a huge disconnect between academia and working world photography yeah. photographers. I feel like most photography programs either want to prepare you for journalism, which is a dying realm of photography. It's, it's still not to be successful yeah. in. And then, and then they want to have a fine art type curriculum so you leave with fine art skills maybe you're going to do yeah you yeah, have an art yeah, gallery yeah. someday and a showing which is not like people do it but uh you know yeah but not a lot sure. <laughs> such a small percentage of the industry yeah, yeah it's so odd sure. that that's especially what's to do it well yeah and i run mm -hmm. a photography community with local photographers we've got maybe four thousand people in the group and constantly people are oh, wondering wow. how do we you know they want to know how they get into this industry and oh, i want to go to school like what do you think about going to this school and we're going to this program and i, and I hate to like crap on it but like there is merit and obviously i think it, it paved a you know you cut your teeth on that in that program and i think it led you to where you're at yeah uh, but not everyone's experience is the same they become great artists but they're terrible their business acumen is just awful yeah i think also the other thing to that's noteworthy is um I was older, like I was 26, yeah, like 26 when we when I went back to school. It was my third time going to school. I had dropped out two other previous times. Um, I had all my like prerequisite stuff already done, so I wasn't taking any kind of like intro to pre-algebra for the artist kind of classes. Um, and I was fighting the advisors so it was like you need to take this this and this i was like nope that's not a prerequisite for anything i am not taking that class and i will not pay you to go to it and it was like this thing where they're like what do you mean you're not i'm like no I'm, i mean no i'm not doing that and they'd have to go to their supervisors to like clear the class and i tested out of classes and just did a whole bunch of stuff to get myself in a place where i was going to school for what i wanted to go to school for math for the artist was not an interesting use of my time or money i understand that one picture plus two pictures equals three pictures i get it i can do that um so it's just kind of one of those things where i remember there's a, a conversation that i had where i was a freshman whatever that means and i was doing internships with two two different studios two different photographers and i was assisting for free obviously but i was out in the world working and we were doing big shoots and I was just carrying stuff, you know, but I was there and I was experiencing it. And I remember one of the students said, you're, well, you're not allowed to do internships until your senior year. And I was like, newsflash, you can work for free whenever you want. <laughs> like, they, you, they're they not going to ask you if you're a senior when you go, hey, I want to work for free. Will you let me? And they're, gonna not, they're not going to say, well, what year are you in, in school? Yeah. And so it's just that mentality of like, you need to go outside of this chain of command idea and say like no this career doesn't work like that you you're either moving forward or you're sitting there and no one's gonna just call you and tap you on the shoulder and say hey you look like a good photographer we're gonna hire you like that's just not how it goes so i think that's the important lessons that i learned about that well now in getting out of school how how much do you feel that like being a retoucher elevated your photography career or like pushed you forward uh i think a lot on a lot of different levels because 
I didn't have to pay somebody to make my work look the way I wanted to. And I know even some of the students, like I had some of the other students as clients after school because they didn't know how to retouch stuff. So if they're doing a personal project, now you have to draw in, you know, however many hundreds of dollars an hour or whatever that retouchers can charge you to do a personal project. And so if I would have had to figure out how to pay for that, I don't, I don't think I could have. I mean, like at that point, you're not making very much money. So how scrappy you can be to put a really dynamic personal project together is important. It's still important to this day. I mean, I, I do them all the time. Hold on one second. I love that. Just like the car door. Yeah. <laughs> Don't make me get out of this RV. <laughs> Sorry. They have, they have friends over too. So it's like, I think there's six oh, kids out there. there's about to be a party hey, in there. It's all right. You know, <laughs> yeah. this, this podcast never has to be perfect. I, I don't plan on cutting any of this. Like this is real life people in their real life working conditions. Yeah. Like this is you, this is real life. So like it doesn't have to be perfect. Um, <laughs> oh, this is very yeah, real life. We're in an army. So my wall is like this thin and they're right <laughs> They've been there, doing so. great so far. So they're, they're doing, they're, they're totally fine. And this podcast is, we intended this to be for working photographers, emerging photographers in the space. So what are some things that you, and I know there's no quick roadmap uh, to emerge in the space, but, and commercial photography is very secular. I, I know one of the top uh, commercial photographers in my city has been shooting for 40 years and there's still maybe only mm. like three or four of, of his you know, colleagues who are still doing it. And he's one of the last ones. And I know how hard it is to break into this, but also it's where I want to shift my work because there's less competition and you can hold on to that marketplace for a long time. So it's important to me to, to slide into that space. So what are your, what's your input to like, for what are your tips for people trying to emerge in the space? And I, I know your experience is just completely different, but you know, if you could condense yeah. it. Yeah. I think for me, there's a few things that I, I really like to touch on. The first is, um, I wish someone would have talked to me about finances before, I moved into freelancing because it's really brutal. Like you, you don't realize all the costs involved, all the different things that you're going to come into. Um, now, granted, does it? There's going to be a lot of risk, right? You're you're going to have risk when you go out and you start to freelance. And so we did have some savings set aside, but not nearly enough for what you know. And it's like at that point, you're really scrambling to get work. But as you continue to grow, um, start to work on how you're going to budget yourself, how you're going to make it work, stay out of debt as much as possible and don't feel the need to buy the newest camera, a newest, a newer car, like all these different things that are going to put you in a situation where you don't get to choose what type of work you get to do. Because what ends up happening is, is if you're financially really in a struggling place and then this job comes up, it, there's two things that they're going to see from you. They're going to see desperation, which is not something you want to exude. Um, and you are going to feel desperate because you have to have this job in order to survive. Um, I would I would even encourage you, like, if you need to have another part-time job, do that instead of being desperate in the work that you acquire as an artist. Because what's going to inevitably happen is you're going to start taking this work that you hate or don't want to do, and you're going to fill your portfolio with this stuff 
and then that's all the work that you're going to get. Um, so my kind of principle get diving in was I'm going to do a bunch of personal projects to fill my portfolio with top level work that looks like client work that's in the genre and vein of what I want to do. And then I'm just going to keep putting that out there all the time. And this idea of like fake it till you make it, I, I think it, it is real, but I, I don't like faking it until you make it. For me, I, I want it to be as real as possible until someone's paying me to do it. So for instance, when I do a personal project, I very rarely, and this started back in school, but I very rarely show up just me and talent right when and and actually a friend my friend scott who's an incredible photographer um taught me this idea that every shoot is the real thing we don't treat any shoot like it's a oh whatever kind of deal so you have hair you have makeup you have lighting you have assistance you bring grip like when you would show up to our sets even in school there everyone was there we were trading with makeup artists we were trading with hairstylists we were uh, we had assistants coming in and we were helping each other or, you know, whatever it was. But when you walked onto one of our sets, it felt like a professional set. And that experience has been invaluable because now I've learned in an environment that's safe. So I can fail, right? I can fail really big. And that's one of the other pieces of advice I give people is set yourself up to fail and fail often and fail fast. Because once you've failed, you can now see what you did wrong and you can move on from it and what a better way to fail when it's you in one of your controlled environments than when you have a hundred thousand dollar client and all of a sudden you didn't realize you needed a wardrobe stylist or whatever it is right so those are things that coming out of school most kids or even adults just don't know and doing that consistently on a high caliber has really continued to push me all the time. And I'm always trying to push the limits of the last thing that I did. It's like, is this possible? How is it possible? How do we do it? And then going out and finding a location, talent, cars, like whatever it is that you need to do to make that happen. Um, I was actually just on a, a call with a kind of a newer photographer the other day and just told him like, if you feel comfortable especially early on, if you're doing a photo shoot and you feel comfortable and you feel calm going into the shoot, you're doing something really wrong because you have an opportunity to push yourself and you're not doing that. You're just showing up and you're doing the same thing you've always done. It's you, it's a camera, and it's a model. The client needs to know that you can handle yourself on a set. And so handle yourself on a set and do it before you get a client because then that way when you do have a client it's like oh this guy knows what he's doing he's delegating well he's working with his team well he knows he needs to have this he's got the resources that he needs to run a shoot those things are so important and again this goes back to that whole idea of, of school but it's this could be school hard knock stuff is like just people aren't talking about it and so for me build your network know that you're going to need hairstylists makeup artists producers all these different things and start to meet them now don't feel like they're these people out in the ether that you don't get to meet until you use them like no i absolutely meet my hair and makeup people beforehand i absolutely meet my assistants beforehand because the last thing i want is to show up on set and have them be people that i don't want to work with like that drives me insane so i spend a lot of time networking i still to this day spend tons of time networking 
and meeting people because we all need each other. And that just in and of itself starts to grow these shoots and it starts to push your career forward. So that's my kind of advice in a nutshell, I guess, would be fail hard, fail fast, move forward and do it on your own so that when you get to the big show, it's not like, oh, man, I don't know what I'm doing. Here's a quick message from our sponsor. As an artist, it's all about getting out there and finding the moment worthy of being captured forever, making moments timeless, framing memories, bringing visions to life. Tamron lenses give you the flexibility and precision to capture the moment exactly as you see it and to share it with those you love. Visit Tamron at tamron-usa.com and on Instagram at tamronusa. In terms of failing hard, failing fast, what was your biggest failure and a lesson that came from it? Yeah, I get this question. I think one of the things for me, it was never like, I can't say never. So the, one of the biggest commercial, one of the first big commercial shoots I had was for a sunglass company. Um, and the big failure there was communication. I did not really know how to communicate with a client. Um, I had retouching skill, which actually saved my butt on that particular shoot. But we ended up having to like reshoot it three times just to get the the final product for them. And it was so heavy retouching and just everything insane. It was outside of my wheelhouse. It was still life. Um, There's just all kinds of stuff. But what happened was when I initially pitched for the job, there was just these huge communication breakdowns between the different creatives inside of the, the company. And I didn't totally understand what they were looking for. So here I am a, a people photographer trying to do these crazy composites to make this underwater world. And then they go back and they're asking for <laughs> things that look like Calvin Klein. And it was just this never ending nightmare. I mean, I remember having moments during that job where I was like, I can't be, a, I can't be a photographer. I just am not, I'm obviously not good enough. I thought I was good enough, but I'm just not. And then pushing through every round of revisions, you know, and being like, and <laughs> my wife, God bless her. Uh, we are in the basement with fish tanks, lighting and splashing sunglasses around mm-hmm. and, and like the, it, the level of insanity on that job. I mean, the pressure was pretty intense. So that was like my, <laughs> intro into big client world um and then too like the pay was just okay so it was just kind of one of those things where you're like you're just taking it in the teeth and you're going round after round with revisions so there there was a big breakdown with communication with the client so for you know for me like i want to know what the creative brief is and i want to know to a t i want to have a shot list i want to know exactly what we're trying to walk away with because if i go out there and i'm shooting something and i send it to you and you're like that's not what we wanted that's not good (laughs) so that's that was like that first kind of but there's a lot of little things especially kind of going back to the financial world like when you miss something and it's say craft services or hard drives or insurance or whatever oh well you just lost two thousand dollars and what you thought was a big job now is not a big job anymore and it just becomes this thing where you're like those little things that are real stingy where you're like, Oh man, just took a $2,000 bath on that one. And, uh, Mm. and then you, you learn from it, right? It's like what you were supposed to make however much money. And now you're walking away with half that. Or, uh, I mean that sometimes it's inconsequential, but those little things that keep adding up 
and you just have to say, okay, next time, carry that forward. I'm not doing that again. And making sure you're charging correctly. And that was really, again, there's not a lot of great conversations going on about this. And there are reasons for that in some ways and in other ways, it's a little bit hard to understand. But the only way to really figure out how far you can push budgets or what you can do with licensing fees or all this kind of stuff is to fail at it because you didn't know. And if they like answer right away, you're like, oh shit, we, that was not the right, <laughs> that was not the right number. They answered very quickly and they said that was okay. And that's like, dang, that's a telltale sign that you underbid the job. Right. And so then you're like, all right, note to self next time. And then there's the jobs where you go, boom, this is what it is. And they're like, don't even write you back because your number was so high compared to what they wanted. You know, you never hear from them again. So those are all failures, but those are all things you have to learn from and then carry it forward to the next job. And so year after year, you get to this point where you're like, okay, this should be here. And if it's not there, then I don't want to do it. And knowing all your team and having everybody there but like for instance building my team that all happened on personal projects and just going out and meeting people in person making calls talking to other photographers who do you like where you know where do i shoot here all this kind of stuff and keeping those relationships going that to me is is the gold i mean that's why i got into the industry but also it's one of the most important parts of the industry is you're not going to get work if you don't network because that is really where jobs come from is meeting this guy who knows this girl who met this person that oh needs happens to work for whoever that can all of a sudden hire you so that's kind of been my whole journey into the world of it to be honest you have an interesting i I think there's a there's a difference in the types of communities you can tap into like being if you're being out in la there's a whole industry supporting our industry but when you're in a city like tucson it's hard to find like that level of uh, support from grips um i mean we have makeup artists we we have you know there's people out here but like there's a whole industry underneath the industry out there uh do you find it different hard to put that team together when you're on location in a different city that you don't have connections with um sometimes i so when i when i was in for instance colorado i think is a good example because colorado especially colorado springs really just doesn't have the industry like at all like the creative industry is I joke, it's like Colorado is where creatives go to die. Um, But in that case, so what I did is I would just train people. And so I'd find people who are interested and I get, I get messages frequently enough where someone will say, I really want to work with you or I want to learn or whatever. And I bring them in and I train them. I mean, we actually go through, I'll take them into the studio. How this is how you set up a C stand. This is where the sandbag goes. This is this, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and then finding makeup artists that maybe they've never done photography before. So it's like, okay, here's some things that I'm looking for. This is something that I need. Uh, we do a shoot, we do a test, whatever. Okay. This was too shiny. That was too this. And I'm there the whole time. Here's your makeup examples. Here's what's going on. And I send out really comprehensive call sheets and mood boards with every shoot that I do so that everyone's on the same table and everybody knows what's going on. And I have, you know, a makeup artist that I've worked with for like eight years in Colorado and if I'm there I work with her or like even a great example is my brother-in-law when I first started I couldn't afford assistance and so we would work for food 
and we'd be like if you want us to come shoot this you got to buy us lunch and i would like even put the caveat in there of like and we both get to get whatever we want like we're gonna get we're going to <laughs> tgi fridays and i'm gonna get an appetizer you know all the cheese um, appetizer trio like all yeah three. boom and that's where it started you know and now we're spending thousands of dollars on craft services and rolling around just taking pictures of stuff it but it, i think it's important i think it's really important to know that it doesn't just go from zero to hero you, you're not like oh yeah i got out of school and then boom like nike called me it was great ever since then i've been making six figures i've i personally i've never met somebody that that happened to and i i know a lot wow. of people and so it's important i think especially for the up and coming people to hear we struggled yeah. it wasn't like i remember being in a grocery store deciding between milk and eggs I remember those choices and I don't ever want to be in those choices again. You know, God help us. That's a, it was a horrible moment when you have a baby in a cart and you're trying to decide if you can buy milk or eggs. Um, but that's not where we are now. And it takes this kind of grit, this almost like masochistic drive to say, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep trying. And same thing with that first client. It was like, man, this is just, I don't know if I can do it. And you have to kind of have this inner some insanity of some kind. I don't know to keep putting yourself through it. But uh, yeah, we're almost 10 years into it now and being a full-time freelancer. And it's just kind of, it's everyday life. And now I look at the other side and I'm like, I don't know if I could have a normal job. It just sounds super weird and no. go to a desk and I don't know. I can't do it. God bless you if you can't, but I just can't see it. I've had a camera in my hand. Not an option for me anymore. I've had a camera in my yeah, hand for, exactly. for uh, 18 years now, and no, nobody emerging wants to hear that my success wasn't realized until like 12 years in. They don't want to hear it. Yeah. Or they don't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Be surprised. No, it's huge. I mean, what is it? Even if you just looked at it from a business statistic standpoint, right? What is it like 80% of businesses fail like in the first right. year? And then it's mm -hmm. like 90% will fail in the first five? And if you can make it past the first five, most businesses what aren't profitable until like year seven or something like that. It's just like this insane thing where the the blood, sweat, and tears that go into it feel like it's not worth it until you get to a certain point. And I think there is a validity to that in our industry because they want to know that they're the client wants to know that they're going to be taken care of. If you're going to hand somebody a hundred thousand dollars to get a picture like you better feel comfortable with that person because that's a lot of money you know and and so if you if you take that money and then you don't even know how to get a makeup artist like you're it's never going to happen and so i think that those things are just really important to know that you're going to have to do a lot of educating on your own and learning to get into the industry it takes a lot of work a lot of legwork on your part, whether you go to school or not. I mean, like at this point, I don't even, I don't think it matters, but you're going to have even more work for you if you don't go to school and have experience with lighting. So it's like the thing, the reason I went to school was because they had all the lighting and all the studios available to us. And so we just went in and we'd check it out and we'd just use it. So every weekend I was checking out gear, I'd haul it on a train, I'd take it back in to Livermore and then I would go and I would shoot. And it was amazing to me how many students weren't doing that. 
I was like, dude, you have all this gear. You have all this access, you, which you're not going to have once you get out of school. And you're not using any of it. Like, I don't understand why you would, would do that. But I think the I do kind of understand now that we're out as a there is a certain type of person that thrives in this industry and it's like a certain level of crazy and a certain level of just like grit and determination. And, and I've, I've talked to some people and literally counseled them and saying like, I really don't think this is a good choice for you because you're not insane enough. No, you're not. It it is. There's like a level of crazy that you're like, Oh wait, I take pictures and I don't, I haven't slept in a while. I haven't, you know, there's all these different things. You're just like, what is happening? I, I don't, I don't remember this being part of the job description, um, but you just want, want and need to keep doing it. And um, yeah, I mean, I guess the happy side of it is that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. You keep gritting it out. You keep moving forward. You keep going on. Um, but just to know, like I've had to have other jobs. I've had to make really hard choices and um, I'm very blessed and fortunate to be in the position we're in now. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. I think growth has been all the growth that I've been through as a person and as a family and all the different things. It's like, it's great, but it isn't for everyone. And I think that, I think people should know that like, it's not for everybody. It's, it takes a certain kind of weird, you know? Well, this is the stuff that we like to wax poetic about and talk about these types, like the more the, the why and the ethos of surrounding the, the industry. But I guess we kind of got to steer towards some gear talk too, because that we've got an audience that loves to sure. talk about gear. Um, so if you, <laughs> yeah. so you're you're an interesting position. You're a Tamron ambassador. That's how we're connected, um, and mm-hmm. how we got you on our show today, because yeah. Tamron sponsors our podcast. And uh, you're also a Fuji X ambassador. How do those two worlds collide mm-hmm. for you? Do you got a favorite camera that you're using for your work now? Is there a favorite lens you want to talk about, um, and maybe your favorite piece of grip? Um, yeah, well, yeah, that is an interesting because Tamron, so I was just able to shoot with the new Tamron that goes on the X, I was shooting on the X-T3, which is really cool. Um, I forget the zoom. It's like, it's insane. It's like 18 to 300 or something crazy like that. Um, on the Tamron glass side though, I'm kind of purist. I really like the 35 millimeter. I have the one eight and then I have the 85 millimeter one eight and like, when I'm reaching into my bag for Tamron lenses, that is where I go for sure. Um, I shoot, yeah, I shoot on the Fujifilm GFX 100, which currently doesn't have Tamron glass. Um, but like I'm shooting on the Nikon D850 when I'm shooting Tamron. I don't even know if I should say that out loud, but uh, I really do. Like for me, we've also done a lot of um, video on the Tamron glass as well. So like the one of the DPs that I work with, we put, we have um, the Tamron, let's see, 85, 35, and something else, but we put it onto his red. And it's like, it's incredible. The glass is just really cool. I, I am not a, I'm not like a, I'm gonna get, you know, 50 prime for life tattooed on my arm, but I do like prime lenses. And I like prime lenses because <laughs> of, the what it forces you to do and i think photographers it's good for us to move in the space and the zoom the zoom lenses are great i i I, they have their place for sure but when you have this thing where it's like you have to experience a space from a certain perspective 
I think it's really good. And and I find myself on most client shoots, like I'll shoot 90% of it with a prime of some kind because it just, it's this experience. I don't know. It's weird. I don't, I feel weird saying this stuff, but it's like, I want to be in this, this moment with, I don't want to just be doing, you know, sitting in one space doing this. I want to be moving around and experiencing. And I think it forces you to move, which then forces your perspective to change. It's like, oh, we could, th- this is my foreground element now. This is background. How does that shift? Am I paying attention to tangents and lines? And when you have to move inside of a space, I think that comes alive a little bit more. So my experience with primes has taught me to be in that environment and see it from different places to create the things we're trying to create. So it's like my nerdy. No, I, I say the same thing about primes too. I feel like shoot, you have to cut your teeth on primes because it forces you to engage your entire body into the act of photography. Um, your, your decisions yeah. about composition are completely ruled by your body position and your, and, yeah. it, and it gives you a consistency in the look of your work and aesthetic that you can't match with a zoom because as soon as I change the focal length on the zoom, how I perceive space has changed. So a prime is a great yeah. tool in getting you you know into a, a space of consistency so I, I totally resonate everything you said uh, resonates with me you know actually uh, eric valind one of the tamron ambassadors he is i think it was him or jonathan thorpe one of them were, t- were telling me that they were shooting with gfx 100 with tamron glass so i think they're adapting uh for their purposes from maybe an icon mount i'm not sure which which mount but they're getting great stuff so it's there's a possibility to make those worlds combine here's a quick message from our sponsor tamron Tamron helps you focus on the moment to bring the frame to life. They design and manufacture lenses, providing you the tools for maximizing your creative potential. Focus on the future at Tamron-USA.com and on Instagram at TamronUSA. Yeah, you can. I, there's some interesting issues with the adapters and stuff. Um, but yeah, for now, I just kind of shoot with the different bodies and it works yeah. good for me. Um, and then video stuff we change as well. Uh, I'm curious. I hope that they continue to come out with stuff for the X series cameras too, because I just think that's going to be a, a fun world as far as, as seeing those things. Because I like, yeah, I love some of the glass that Tamron's putting out. So I think it'd be a cool combination. And anytime you combine like different brands of lenses with different bodies of cameras and all this kind of stuff, you know, you get these weird little little things that can be really cool. Sometimes they're not really cool, but other times they can be really different and kind of separate your work just a little bit you know which sometimes that's all you get is a, a hair of difference between one person and another so all the equipment these days i feel like the equipment is i have i say often if you're asking questions about equipment you're asking the wrong questions because it's really not what it's about like you can make very similar images with all different kinds of equipment now um and I think Tamron's like a great example, right? Like if you look at the prices of their lenses versus the prices of other lenses, and then you look at the results of their lenses versus the results of other lenses, it's like, it's a no brainer. Why am I paying more? <laughs> yeah. Like what, what's the, what's even the point? So I think those, I forget who said it first. Uh, there was a, there was, I was listening to a talk a long time ago and they said, somebody at, raised their, their hand. And I was like, hey, uh, what what camera system do you use and what lens? And the guy looked him right in the eye and said, you're asking the wrong questions. Who's next? And that was it. <laughs> and it was just like, wow, that's not what it's about. It's not about your gear. And I think 
uh, the reason I really resonate with that is because I think new photographers see it as an excuse. Like, well, he's shooting with the Tamrod 70 to 200 2.8. I could never afford a lens like that. It's like, yeah, I didn't always have that lens. You know, <laughs> like I, I started with a 50 millimeter 1.4 that I bought from a guy and it was super used. Like he had won the Pulitzer with this lens because he was a, a documentary photographer and told me some great stories. I was like, oh, okay. And I waited and waited and waited to buy that lens because I could barely afford it used, you know? So I think you just, you're, you don't, don't use it as a crutch. Gear's cool, but it's not, it's not going to make you, it's not going to make you a, the photographer that you want to be. That's just not what it is. Um, as far as grip equipment goes, I, so I shoot with Allen Chrome. I really, I, you know what? Here's another one. I just started using these little things called the DMG Dash. And it's from Roscoe. And these little LED lights, they're like literally this big. And they have, so Roscoe mostly does gels. So I, I just, I became an ambassador for them like maybe six months ago, a year ago. And they, I use their gels for, I gel my lights all the time. And they just came out with these little lights that you can match all the gels. They have like every gel they've made inside of the LED. So I can be using like bastard orange or whatever over here. And then I can go into my little dash and switch it to that. And they they match. It's like this radical tool that we've been utilizing and, and they're small. So we've been shoving them into really weird places and making some really cool stuff. Um, and same thing with the Ellen Chrome one, which is like their new little all in one guy. We've been really squeezed in some tight spaces lately. So having all these resources has been really cool. And like the more portable. I love the trend of lighting getting smaller. It's good. As long as it stays powerful enough, I'm I'm for mm-hmm. it. Yeah. It's better for everybody. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we've nerded out quite so, enough and we've got to learn a lot about you yeah. in a very short amount of time. Aaron, thank you so much for coming out with us. Like I you, you know, this really wasn't yeah. a podcast interview. This was uh Rob and I taking notes because we're both emerging in a different <laughs> space. We're both wedding photographers. We've got hundreds of weddings yeah. under our belt and but we've also taken on commercial work and more editorial stuff, but commercial's yeah. been a space that we talk about a lot and we're trying to, you know, find our own lane in the in that space too. Totally. Yeah, well, yeah, we're not even actually releasing this. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, no, it's just us. We're just talking. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, we're just taking notes. Yeah, That's we're it. not going to publish this episode at all. It's just for us. <laughs> By the way, I've do you have any uh, resources for accurate uh, pricing? Where can uh, I go yeah. for that? Yeah, no, actually, yes, I do. Um, That's, so that'd be I great use, I think that would help a ton of people. Yeah, so I use a a software called Photo. Well, so they're, they're like the thing they started with is called PhotoQuote Pro. And it's by um, Craddock. I think it's kind of hard to find. But so Craddock makes PhotoQuote Pro. And then I have what's called PhotoBizX, which is spelled with an F, F-O-T-O-B-I-Z. And um, the interesting thing for me, there's, I think it succeeds in in places where others don't. So the one thing it has is PhotoBizX has PhotoQuote Pro built into it. And PhotoQuote, what it does is it actually has, based on assignments and usage, like what the usage should be. 
So wow. if you're like, hey, I, and they don't even have, which like, I feel like so many clients nowadays are just like, we want an unlimited forever. And you're like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. okay. Um, but if nothing else, you can push it up. Just say like, hey, they want to do exclusive usage for five years. And it'll give you this range, uh, which I have found very helpful because it's like, it starts at 14,000, it goes to 36,000, right? Depending upon kind of the client and where, where things are. And just to uh, one, almost have someone behind you saying like, it's okay to charge us most money, I think yeah. <laughs> has been really helpful. Um, you know, cause putting down a number like $30,000 on something is, is it feels daunting. I think, especially the mm-hmm. first time you like drop it and you're like, this is how much it costs. Take it right. or leave it, you know? Um, so that has been a really good tool for me. And sometimes it's really accurate. And then when you get into smaller clients, I feel like there's a lot of gawking, you know, it's like $15,000. What the heck are you talking about? It's like, well, what's different. And, and I think I would encourage photographers to start thinking about that. Like, okay, you've got a big client that wants this and you've got a smaller client that wants this it's the same amount of work and you're going to be putting out the same type of imagery and then they're going to use it to sell their stuff like that's what it's for (laughs) so Mm -hmm. what how does that affect me like you you you're going to use it and it's going to sell your stuff like that's what that's what i'm here to do and so taking a portion of that shouldn't be wrong i'm not like oh I'm helping you sell your stuff. That's what it's almost I'm like commission based work. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, is this going to be, is it going to be seen on web? It's going to be seen nowadays. It's like, it's social, it's web. It's, I mean, maybe they're going to make you do video or whatever. So now I'm like, this is my director fee. This is my creative fee. Um, and so it just, it has some educational stuff inside of the tools as well, which I like. And then this, the price range thing alone is really good. And then it has the full blown software to put your estimates together and it breaks it all down for you. And then you put like usage terms, job descriptions, licensing, if you need it. Um, and it puts it all in one quote. Now I will say the layout, like once you get to the final estimate is not my favorite looking estimate um it's customizable so like i have my logos on it and all that kind of stuff but it's not my favorite like looking um because it's just not you can't kind of move stuff around very well and there's other programs and i'm blanking uh blinkbid blinkbid is one that i know is really popular for people to use but it doesn't have like the the business aspect of it really built in i don't feel like we're it's showing you some different pricing and talking you through things and why it should be this much. And um, you can even change like this is a uh, web and print only or this is, you know, whatever. And then you can see it and you can actually export it straight into your uh, estimate. So that's I think it's been really helpful, even if you just bought PhotoQuote Pro to just like start to get an idea of like, oh, these are much higher real than numbers. I was thinking yeah. they would be. Yeah. And these are real numbers. They base it off of. Uh, real estimates and things like that so that was very helpful to me going into it i i really recommend it um i don't the estimates are good enough looking that that's actually what i use to send out an estimate because nowadays you know you're spending all this money on all these subscriptions and it's like how much money do we need to throw away to make the estimate so we can move something around i don't know so 
I got. I love that we yeah, not that. only got that, but we also it's at the end, and it feels like a nice golden nugget reward for all the listeners and who the actually dumb, stuck yeah. through one hundred percent the end. Like you don't that's get right. the the that little juice until you're all the way through. So you that's need awesome. to open Thank it. Thank you with, so much. There's something at the end. You got to stay tuned mm-hmm. to find out what it is. And uh, I'll, yeah, we'll we'll do some little hook. You've been incredible, Aaron. I uh, you've been. I feel like we have to yeah. have you back on because I didn't get to I didn't get to dive into totally. all the stuff that I wanted to talk about because there's I got a lot of questions for you. Um, just leave us on like a one word yeah. answer and and like just to put it out to the universe. Um, your big a big whale client that you're you're chasing that if you could if you could nab them next month like and do do your dream bid, who would that client be? Oh man. Maybe you already worked with them. He's like, I've already been on the top of the mountain, Justin. What are you talking about? (laughs) No, that's not true. That's never true. (laughs) The journey. You gotta enjoy the journey. Uh you know what's you know what's weird? I would actually say off the top of my head, like the first client that comes to mind that I have not worked with is Banana Republic. Oh. All right. Um because their style fits my vibe and I love their um, I actually know one of the creative directors that I've been trying to. So if you're listening, Banana Republic. Um, but yeah, the stuff listener. they've been putting out lately. So, yeah, <laughs> you see it in your, uh, your what is it? The internet an- analytics. Um, <laughs> yeah, just Banana yeah. Republic, the word. Yeah, Banana Republic. <laughs> one listener. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there. If if you look at their recent stuff it was like done i think it was done in another country and it's like these beautiful like castles like like saudi arabia or something and it's just the vibe of it i i I, seeing that kind of stuff created is always really cool to me so yeah there you go hope next time we talk to you uh that you have nabbed your big banana republic banana republic yeah been there done that (laughs) awesome well thank you again yeah no problem thanks guys for having me and now i'm happy to come back on uh, I know we got kind of that got cut off there, so no, this is fine. you just let me know. Thanks again, Aaron. Have a good one. Peace. Yep, yep.